I'm sorry, somebody has to come interrupt that. How about you? <laughs> Tell you, if somebody else want to come up here and take my slot, I'd be glad to surrender it after this. Man, that's tremendous. Thank you, friends, for the wonderful job you've done. I hope your Bible's still open to Revelation 14. Let's just begin where they left off. I am redeemed. This is a victory that was given to me. I didn't earn it. It's not something I can claim for my own. It is not a victory that is mine to hold on to. It's not something that I can, that I can declare is mine and uniquely so. No, no, this is a victory that has been granted to me by the blood of the Lamb. He was crucified for my sake. He died on my behalf. He paid the penalty that I could not pay. And now, when we turn to Revelation 14, it is easy to think what we thought last week. Revelation 13, with the two beasts, with their mark, with their awesome and influential control over the economic system of the world and a world religion that is pushing down on everything and everyone. It is easy to feel overwhelmed. It's easy to be burdened by that. But today, when we get to Revelation 14, oh, friends, I want you to celebrate with me. This is a holiday weekend. We're supposed to celebrate, right? Here is our celebration verse. See it in Revelation 14, 1. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb. Here is our victory verse. In spite of everything that has transpired up to this point in Revelation, in spite of the beast and the second beast, and their terrifying mark, in spite of their economic control, in spite of everything, the Lamb still stands. Friends, I want you to write that down somewhere. Or if you want to just use our phrase from last week, Jesus has already won. The victory is his. He invites us to join him in it, but the victory is his. And because the victory is his, he now rules victoriously. Now, if you are one who knows what happens in the rest of chapter 14, you know there's a lot left ahead. And if you're one who knows the book of Revelation as a whole, you know there are some difficult days yet ahead. But before we get to those, I want us to pause and to thank Jesus that he still stands. Let's pray together for that very purpose. Jesus, today, we see in your word the encouragement that the victory is already yours. It is not about what we can do to earn that or join you in it. It is simply a faith response on our part that says, thank you, Jesus, for what you have done on my behalf. I couldn't earn it. I could never deserve it. But because of you, Jesus, you've invited me to find freedom in you and to join you in the victory that is already yours. So now, Lord, as we jump off into this study, I pray, Lord, that you would remind us of this. For when we feel overwhelmed, when we feel frightened, when we feel concerned, let us find in you the peace because you have already won. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Jesus is not alone. See the rest of verse 1. 
I looked and behold on Mount Zion stood the lamb and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. If you go back to Revelation 7, you'll see this same group is there. They are sealed. Now, I want you to put a parallel down somewhere on your notes, the difference between sealed and marked. Marked is what the beast's people are. Think of it as branding cattle. When you brand a, a, a cow, they aren't necessarily excited about it, but they know it's something they don't have a choice in. That's the essence of what it is with the beast's mark. That's different, that's different than how they handle pigs. With pigs, they clip their ear. And when they clip their ear, sometimes they'll clip it in a particular pattern, and that'll show it. Sometimes they clip it and put an earring on them to show what it is. Now, the pigs doesn't, doesn't necessarily make them any smarter, but it absolutely means they know who they belong to. Friends, I want you to see the difference. In chapter 13, we have those who are marked. They may or may not have wanted it. They may or may not have chosen it. In chapter 14, we have those who are sealed, those who wear the name of the Lamb and his Father's name on their foreheads. Herein is the army, Jesus and the army of the redeemed. Now, we don't know that this is a military force. We don't know that these, the, these, the 144,000 have with them military purposes and capacity. We don't know that. We don't get that kind of information from what we have about the 144,000. But we know this, there's a whole lot of them. Jesus and the army of the redeemed stand on full display. Friends, I want you to rejoice with me in that. Because when we see the army of the redeemed, we realize something that is a common lie of Satan. Common lie is this, you're all alone. You're all alone. Nobody knows your struggles, nobody knows you. I want you to anchor your heart and mind to a few things about this army of the redeemed. While there are many things we cannot say about him, there are several things we definitely can. And so here's a few things that we can say about this army of the redeemed. What makes them so powerful? What makes them so influential? What makes them so significant that we would spend a whole Sunday morning dealing with this section? Here's where we start. This army of the redeemed, they will be with Jesus. And friends, if that's all, that's enough. Herein, we find peace for our broken and weary souls. Herein, we find rest because we know who's in charge. Herein, we find release from our past and our brokenness that has nagged at us. Maybe, just maybe today, you would say, if that's all there is, then let me find Jesus to be enough. In the presence of Jesus, there is rest. There's peace. There's a lack of chaos. There's wisdom. That's different than what we see in chapter 13, isn't it? Where they are in the presence of the beast, they stand afraid. But here in the presence of Jesus, they stand at peace. They will be with Jesus. Friends, today, here's good news. We don't have to wait for the day Revelation 14 is fulfilled to be with Jesus. 
we can be with Jesus right here simply by doing what our friend Jeff led us to do earlier by whispering his name the presence of Jesus is with us you might say but Darren it doesn't feel that way you know I want to just give a shout out to our man Sheldon Kennison our North Campus pastor he told me this story this morning he didn't tell I didn't tell him I was going to use it so Sheldon I'll apologize now he's telling me about taking his, his children to his grandfather's house and how grandfather spoiled them. Imagine that. That never happens in your homes, I'm sure. How there was all kinds of candy and donuts and all kinds of sodas and everything else in the world that's bad for children, but they love them. When they got home last night, one of his children came to him and said, I want a cookie. He said, no. Out came the tears pouring down the child's face. Sheldon took his beloved child in his arms and said, you know that I love you and this is what's best for you. Child looked back and said, it doesn't feel like it. You ever said that to God? I know you love me, God, but it doesn't feel like it. Friends, when you are with Jesus, even if it doesn't feel like it, there you'll find rest. Let's move on to the next thing. They'll be sealed with God's name. We don't know exactly what is stamped on their foreheads, but it really doesn't matter because God knows and he's the one who has to put it there. They are protected and preserved by this seal. They're sheltered under his care. They're under his authority. They have no reason to fear the beast or his terrible mark because they're safely kept under God's seal. Here's my favorite part of it. You'll see it there in verse 3. I'm sorry, verse 2. They will hear the very voice of God. Hear it in there. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. They were singing a new song before the, before the throne and before the four living creatures, before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who'd been redeemed from the earth. They will hear the voice of God. How do you know when you've heard the voice of God? Well, it's a little like getting a call from somebody you know well. I think I've shared this story, but I'll share it one more time. When I was in college, my mother would call me often. This is the days before caller ID, if you know what that is, and cell phones that would tell you who it is on the other end. My mother, knowing her son and that he's not terribly bright, would always start the same way. Hello, Darren, this is your mother. Okay, mom, there's like three, four voices in the world that I would recognize anywhere. Yours is one of them. Just start talking, all right? I know your voice. I recognize it because I've heard it. I've heard it all of my life. Friends, this is what it's like to hear the voice of God. You have to tune your ears to it and long to hear from it. I want you to see the description that John gives to that voice as satisfying as the many waters. As satisfying as the many waters. One of the things that occurs to me when I travel is how satisfying it is to be near the water. 
When we are near the water, there's something peaceful about hearing the ocean waves roll or hear a, a river run by. We got to hear that run down Garfield when it rained not long ago. You, you were here for that, no doubt. As satisfying as the many waters, it's a peaceful sound. As awesome as the thunders above. We don't hear much of that, and despite what Garth Brooks says, it can be a good thing when the thunder rolls. As awesome as the thunders above. And third, as calming as harps. One of the things that I always look forward to with Christmas season is hearing the harps play. There's something peaceful about that, just in the style of music they choose and the way they play it. There is a peace to that. This is what hearing the voice of God is like. It makes you want to stop and listen. It makes you want to pause. It would be wise to do so when you're hearing the very voice of God. Here's another thing we can say. They're singing a unique song reflecting the gratitude of their hearts. They're singing this song that only they can know. I don't know what this song is. Perhaps it's something like what we saw in Revelation 4 and 5. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and is yet to come. We don't know what the song is, but we know this. They know it, and it's their song to sing. This unique song, it's a clarion call, a declaration of their faith, and a powerful one at that. Here's another element we know for sure. Jesus knows the redeemed, since they are clearly identified, sealed and marked. They reflect a kingdom ethic and lifestyle. Thus, they are easy to identify. We may not know who they are, but that's okay because Jesus does and they're his army, they're his children. They are the ones who belong to him and they are sealed with his name. Can I tell you today, friends, I've read a lot of books about Revelation, a lot of interpretations about how to understand it, but all of them come down to this one thing, there's a lot of Revelation that we just don't understand. This is where we get to give it back to Jesus and say, this was a vision that John had under your authority. So Jesus, you know who the redeemed are and we're gonna trust you. Couple more characteristics. One, they're uniquely gifted. Their rightful place in the kingdom of heaven is different than the rest of the created order. Two, they are pure. Did you notice they were described in verse four as ones who have not defiled themselves with women, as virgins? This doesn't necessarily mean the rest are immoral, nor is it a necessarily reflection of these people have not all been married. I think it has with it the idea of more of a ceremonial purity, a purity that reflects a desire to be pure, a desire to be one with Christ. Marriage is not forbidden in Scripture, but rather endorsed by it, and in fact is a reflection so it's not necessarily a command to celibacy as much as it is perhaps reflection of another theme that we find throughout the New Testament. When we see the word fornication in the New Testament, most of the time 
It is reflection of pagan worship, worship of a false god. Thus, it could be that these 144,000 are those who have not given themselves over to the worship of false god. They are pure. The final element, they are the followers of the Lamb. Their primary spiritual qualification has nothing to do with them and everything to do with who they follow. It reminds me of Acts chapter 4, when the church is just getting off the ground and Peter and John get arrested and brought before the Sanhedrin, these most highly trained and educated men, they are brought with charges before the Sanhedrin. And what happens is remarkable, not because of what, what the Sanhedrin said, but because of what Peter and John did. They reflected something that was different, that the Sanhedrin didn't know what to do with. And this is what the Bible says about them. They marveled that these men, get this, had been with Jesus. That's enough. One of the real problems that I find in my own spiritual walk, and maybe this is true for you too, I want to impress God with what I can do for him. I want him to be wooed by what I can do, by my self-righteous acts, by the things that I think are important, by the things that I think are significant. Can I tell you today, friends, what impresses God most is my faithfulness to Jesus. The same for you. He doesn't care how much or how little you give, although he longs to hear from you in prayer and longs for you to read his word. It is your faithfulness to his son that he longs for most. Perhaps we would do well to focus there to the exclusion of some other things. I want to give you three things to take home with you. One, are you identifiable as one who belongs to the lamb? Are you identifiable as one who belongs to the lamb? Does your life reflect the kingdom ethic that Jesus meant to bring you? Two, what voice are you hearing? This is an important question to ask right now, especially. When we listen to the wrong voice, sometimes it's a problem that leads us to the wrong conclusion. Perhaps it's time to clean your ears. Perhaps it's time to let Jesus set your agenda and stop trying to do it yourself. This third one goes right along with that. Who are you following and how far? Are you willing to go with them? These pieces, these three questions, they link themselves with the first five verses of Revelation 14 because here's the reality that's coming in the last section of Revelation 14. The battle of Armageddon begins. We are jumping off next week, my friends, into some of the final acts that Revelation has to offer. When we get to that point, it will be late in the game to decide differently. Thus, in God's mercy, he offers us today, right here, right now, to say, who will I follow? Let us conclude with four heavenly announcements. Things that are proclaimed by the angels in verses 6 through 13. I didn't ask Doug to read this section, but I wanted to cover it today just the same. Let me read it for you. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead, an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, 
to every nation and tribe, language, and people. He said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of her passion, of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed him saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives the mark on his forehead or his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here was a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the command, commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow after them. Let me ask you, friends, do you find a difference in announcements? Consider these two different types of announcements. Attention, Walmart shoppers. None of you ever hear that, I'm sure. At least not yet today. Or, ladies and gentlemen, brace for impact. How carefully would you listen to each one of those, and what would your response be? Well, for the Walmart shoppers one, we let it pass in one ear and out the other one, unless it's something that might pique our interest. Brace for impact, though, we know what that means. It means there's a crash ahead, and we better prepare accordingly. Oh, friends, the announcements that I just read for you, there are four of them, and each one of them stands significantly all by itself. Let's take them one at a time. Announcement one, fear God because judgment is near. Reminder, there are two purposes to Revelation. It is a warning to the ungodly. It is a warning to ungodly that things are coming to a screeching halt soon. Prepare accordingly. It is also a word of encouragement to the faithful. Things will not always be as they are. Wait patiently. Friends, when we hear this verse announcement, it is a it is one that declares God's rightful place, but it is also one that says his judgment is just around the corner. Quite frankly, it starts in verse 14. We won't get there today, but the angel who flies overhead says, fear God, friends, because judgment is near. Here's a second announcement. Babylon is falling. It's a reminder that this kingdom that we live in is not an earthly one. The doubled fallen, 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 you see there, is a reminder of the fullness and the finality of the collapse of Babylon. Babylon was first century code. It didn't mean the place in Persia. It was code for anything that was of a secular kingdom. We find it in 1 Peter 5 used as code for Rome. We might just as well use it for most of our world governments today. 
It's a reminder that Babylon has a timetable and it is not long. Announcement three, the one with the mark of the beast will suffer God's wrath. It is a reminder that the worst thing a person can do is reject God's gracious offer of forgiveness in Christ. Those who do reject it will suffer for their arrogance. This is where most of the people that talk to me about heaven and hell really struggle. How is it fair, Darren, that God should punish people for eternity for a decision they made in their lives? I can't speak for God at that point, but I'll say this. God created each of us in his image, and with that image came a measure of free will, the capacity to choose for ourselves. And choosing for ourselves brings reward and punishment. You and I have all, all, always chosen one or the other, and sometimes in hindsight, what we thought was good was bad, and sometimes what we thought was bad was good. Thus it is with free will. The lifetime that God has given us, no matter whether it be long or short, is filled with choices. The choice to accept the invitation of Christ is one that we, we must embrace. Is it fair to our minds? No, but this is not our kingdom. It's the kingdom of heaven. And in his holy righteousness, he demands the penalty of sin be paid. That, friends, is why those who will not accept the, the gracious gift of Christ must pay it themselves. They'll be punished with fire and sulfur. Your King James Bible has brimstone. It's the King James word for sulfur. It's a long-burning, difficult-to-extinguish material it burns with a particularly acrid and noxious fume. It's not that God longs for people to suffer or to feel his wrath. It's that God respects their free will too much to take it from them. You can demand your independence, and God will grant you just that, even to your own destruction. This fourth announcement this fourth announcement in verse 13, it's the one that brings us to a conclusion today. It's a word of hope and a word of invitation. Blessed are those who die in the Lord. You see, announcement three and announcement four have something in common. In announcement three, people die. In announcement four, people die but that's as far as it goes. Those who die in announcement three will find themselves eternally punished. Those who die in announcement four will find themselves eternally comforted. Their labors will be ceased. They will be granted works. Their works, the results of their faith, will follow them. Endurance, friends, is what God calls us to. I don't know who said it to me. One of my pastor mentors, I'm sure, he said this, faithfulness is better than success. God does not call us to success. He calls us to faithfulness. 
So let us conclude with a few things to take home. One, there's a difference between hearing, the physical act of letting sound waves bounce off of your eardrum, and listening. With these four announcements, which one are you doing? Finally, the announcements make it clear Listening well to Jesus leads to life. Ignoring him leads to death. Which will you choose? Today, right here, right now, you get to choose. You get to decide. Today, in this moment, I want you to measure that for yourself. Whether you're in this building or you're watching us on live stream or on a later broadcast, I want you to ask yourself that very question. What is it that God would say to me? These announcements, which one, which one resonates with me? My prayer is if number three is where you are, that you'll recognize this word is for you. Today, if you've never invited Christ to be the Lord and master of your life, it is a wonderful day to do exactly that. I'll be waiting for you right down here. You come down and let's talk about it. Perhaps you've done that and you need to be baptized. Come down and let's talk about that. Maybe you need a church home and you want to talk about that. Come down and let's visit about that. Perhaps, just maybe, you need to come to this altar. You need to come to this altar and say, I've been listening to the wrong voices. I've been seeking popularity instead of purity. I've been taking the easy road instead of the faithful one. My prayer is that today you'll respond. Pray with me, won't you? an awesome lamb we come to you today Jesus thankful that you invite us to join you in victory forgive us for trying to earn what you've already given us forgive us for thinking that you need something from us that you've already given us forgive us Lord Jesus for thinking that we can impress you or that you need us to impress you let us instead join in your victory Lord Jesus we read, Lord, about the 144,000, and we long, Lord Jesus, to be with them. We don't know all the details about that, Lord, and we don't pretend to, but we know this. They're with you, and that's enough, and that's all we want. We see these four announcements, Lord, and it's terrifying to think about maybe, just maybe, we're in the wrong category. I pray for those who need to respond to you today, Jesus. Let that happen right here and right now. Will you do your work in our lives, Jesus? Will you do what you longed to do? Will you tear down the walls that we've erected to protect ourselves even from you? And will you let this day, Lord Jesus, be one where we say yes? Yes, Jesus, yes. 
I pray for those who need to respond today, Lord Jesus. Give them freedom to do it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.